Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 403 with Matthew Lunn. This one is a fun one, and maybe among the most emotional ones. I also got emotional way back in episode 14 with a powerful story from Dr. Marsha Reynolds. But here we're talking about story and the power it has to stir up feelings. And we got Matthew Lunn, who is a master storyteller, has observed, consulted, and developed a deep expertise when it comes to stories. So you'll learn one, two story elements that keep an audience hooked, two, the three flavors of emotion, and three, the universal six story themes. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F403. Now here's Matthew's story. Matthew Lund is a writer, story branding consultant, and keynote speaker with over 25 years experience at Pixar Animation Studios with story credits, including the Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. franchises, Finding Nemo, Up, Cars, and Ratatouille. Alongside his work in Hollywood, Lund trains CEOs, marketing teams, directors, and professionals on how to craft stories for Fortune 500 companies, Academy Award-winning movies, and corporate brands grossing billions of dollars worldwide. He's packaged much of that good advice in his new book, The Best Story Wins, How to Leverage Hollywood Storytelling in Business and Beyond. You can learn more by visiting MatthewLundStory.com. That's Matthew Lund, L-U-H-N story.com. So thanks to Matthew for sharing some time with us. And thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Matthew. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure. I'm always happy to uh, help people be awesome. Well, we were having an awesome preamble conversation about uh, you were an animator on Toy Story, and I mentioned I'd saw it all the way through for the first time just recently. And uh, so that was fun. But toys are a part of your life, not just that you played with them as a youngster, but that you were in toy catalogs, your family had a toy business. Can you orient us to the early part of the Matthew story? Yes. Everybody, I guess, when you start off when you're a kid, you think my life is pretty normal. You know, my parents are teachers or dentists or whatever. But my family, yeah, everybody in my family, from my grandparents to my great grandparents to uncles and aunts and mom and dad, they all owned toy stores. And we had the uh, the largest family owned chain of toy stores, Jeffrey's Toys in San Francisco. And actually, the only guy who didn't get sucked into the toy stores was the guy that the toy stores were named after, Jeffrey, my uncle. 
And he ended up becoming a photographer. But even though he was a photographer, he didn't get far away from toys because he ended up being one of those guys responsible during the 70s, 80s, and 90s of taking the photos for all those toy catalogs. And whenever he needed some cheap child labor, (laughs) he'd say, Matthew, come on in with your friend. You know, we'll give you the toy and... We just want you to play with these A-Team toys or uh, this Inspector Gadget toy. And lo and behold, by the time I'm in high school, I I go, wait a minute, what were those photos ever used for? And yes, so you can always find them online. But my life has really had a lot to do with toys. Yeah, well, this is a rich backdrop because I I think we are going to have a lot of fun in toy play kind of a way. That's a forced segue. That's a signature part of the show. Uh, (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) So I want to hear, you worked as a a story supervisor, and you have described that job as your responsibility is to make people cry, which I think is pretty succinct way to point to it in terms of having people feel things. So I'd love to get your take on when you are supervising stories, what kinds of adjustments do you find yourself making again and again that most of our stories could use improvements in these kind of key ways that show up repeatedly? Sure. First off, yes, my job is to make people cry. But I also want to put it out there that also to keep them sitting on the edge of their seats during action scenes and then make them laugh and at the end make them really think and be inspired. And it's funny that no matter how many movies I've worked on and you think to yourself, oh, we got it figured out this time. No problem. This one's going to be easy. It's Toy Story 3. We've done the first and the second and it's never easy. There's always a new set of problems. And it's funny how. It always goes back to two things over and over again. And it makes no difference if it's a film, a TV show, a playbook, whatever. It always goes back to who is the hero and what do they want? And I know it sounds so simple. It sounds like, duh, but so many times people put together a story and you really can't tell who is the main character or or what their vision is, their goal in the story. And It constantly goes back to that. Sometimes people, when they're crafting a story, they'll have a hero, main character, but the main character will have multiple goals. And then we as the audience just get distracted. We don't know what to root for them for. Or they have no goals and we lose interest. Or the story just lacks a central character. It's so silly, but it happens to the best of us. That's the thing that keeps showing up again and again. That's fascinating. I'm trying to think, I guess maybe we don't want to name names. <laughs> Here's a story that sucked. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, I don't want to put you on the spot there. <laughs> sure, sure. But I think sometimes, I guess I find that maybe we've got a clear leading hero and maybe it's clear what they want, but I just don't care about them and what they want. I guess I think that goal's kind of dumb or not <laughs> worthwhile. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things, it's a tricky thing because, you know, when you are creating a story, there's really three things that motivate you as a creative person, as a writer, storyteller. One is deadlines. The other one's usually desperation. And then the other one that inspires you to come up with some ideas is daydreaming. And when we daydream, we think about moments from our own lives that would make good stories or something we heard or saw or experienced. The tricky thing is sometimes those ideas may be too abstract. They may only connect with a few people, but really 
if you want to be able to create a story that connects with as many people as possible, you need to come up with universal themes that have been showing up in everybody's life, no matter what age or gender or culture, like the desire to be in love. It's universal. The desire for safety and security for yourself and people you love or not to be abandoned, to feel belonged. These are all universal themes. And so whenever you're watching a story, I can't really get behind this character. That's probably the first reason is that their goal is not universal. The next thing is that even if you have a character that is so dastardly, like (laughs) Walter White from Breaking Bad. Oh, my favorite. Or Anakin. Even if the character is really not a nice person, you still need to make sure that the audience either has empathy for them or there is something likable about them. And you'll see time and again that even with the most dastardly characters, they'll always have somebody they care about. Like Walter White, he still cares about his kids and his wife. And then there's empathy because you know the situation he's in. So there are steps to be able to make your character likable and to make sure that the goal that they have is universal. That's what you need to do to make sure that the audience isn't like, I could care less. I'm going to switch the channel. Intriguing. Well, so we're talking about some of the components that make a story great. And and your book is called The Best Story Wins, How to Leverage Hollywood Storytelling in Business and Beyond. So let's talk about leveraging it in in a business or professional context. So uh, most of us will not be in the position of, of writing a TV or movie or novel. Some have, which is awesome. Thanks, listeners, for sending me your novels. But um, if we want to do some storytelling in, in business, uh, how do we do that? It might seem like tales of, of product innovation or, or profit and loss are not maybe as compelling as, is Walter White going to die? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're putting me to sleep right now talking about that stuff. Really, when we go back to really one of the first people first person who talked about story, it was Aristotle in his Poetics book. And, you know, one of the things he pointed out was that the person who is able to really master the metaphor is a very powerful person. And metaphor is basically when you can take something that's dry and analytical, like profit and loss, but you can share a story that maybe is not business related. Maybe it's um, something that happened to you when you were 10 years old. But the takeaway message at the end communicates the feeling of the message of teamwork or um, the power of innovation. And so there's a couple of different ways you can use storytelling in business. And really, yes, telling the story around your company, the founder, that's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Telling the story around your products through the eyes of the consumer, the customer, the guest, through endorsements and testimonials, that's a good one. But the next one is how you use those metaphors to be able to enlighten people, to be able to help kind of complicated or dry information be more memorable and impactful internally or externally at your company or beyond. And then also, the most important way you can use storytelling is to be able to paint a picture for the listener, for that potential client, of what their story could be like, what their company could be like, what their life could be like if they engaged with you or used your product or service. And really, we've seen from Steve Jobs to Walt Disney and that The people who have mastered storytelling in business are the ones who who lead their industries. It happens over and over again. Intriguing. So telling the story of what your life would be like if you used 
the product. And, and I think you had a really nice example of that in your, in your TEDx talk with, uh, there was a Mercedes commercial about, uh, like a teenage boy, uh, maybe 13, 14, yeah, yeah. 15 on his first date. And I guess the story was just that, Hey, this Mercedes is reliable in snow, <laughs> but we had right. a whole lot of, of drama <laughs> behind it because he's going to the movies. So you uh, will link to that in the show notes. Yeah. He's going on his first date. Right. And is she going to show up because it's, <laughs> it's completely snowed out? And so instead of watching another boring car commercial where the narrator is talking about, you know, the performance and bad weather, we actually see the car weather the storm, get him to the movie theater. And I won't blow it because you should watch it because there's elements of tension in there. But it goes back to that universal theme of wanting to be in love. Everybody can connect with that. Everybody has been, you know, at some point, even when you're born, you want to be loved. And they were able to use that universal theme to be able to show, and showing is always better than telling, how effective their product, their service is. So we have a main character with a goal, and there's a tool that helps them reach their goal. And that's what it's all about in business. That's cool. That's cool. Well, so then I'd love to hear then, it sounds like we've already gotten a lot of the components here, but uh, maybe just to make sure we're, we're being thorough. Sure. Are, are there any other key components that make the best story, which wins, in fact, the best? Sure. I think the next thing that I try to encourage people about is that when you watch a movie, the movies that truly impact you and you love, the top movies that, that are out there, books, plays, everything, they're not ones where everything is happy from beginning to end, or everything is sad from beginning to end. We love stories that go back and forth between happy and sad, right? So when we end up using storytelling for business, there's this tendency where we want everybody to think our company is perfect. We are perfect. Our products are perfect. <laughs> we have never made any mistakes at our company. And we are the number one dot, dot, dot in our industry, right? First off, it's not real. Second off, it's really boring. And um, what people love in a story is obstacles. So we love a hero that has a goal. You could be your company that has a goal, your consumer or customer that has a goal. But the obstacles is what I guess you would say in the business world is like the research and development. What went into making that product? Share with us when it blew up right? Share with us when the company almost went bankrupt because it keeps you sitting on the edge of your seat because you want to know what happened. And so we love a hero with a goal, with a set of obstacles. And then the most important thing is a transformation. How this product service has transformed people's lives. How a pair of shoes or a computer or a car can make people healthier or happier or wealthier have more time with their family and friends. This transformation is really, it's the climax. It's the grand finale of what you want to succeed at. You could tell a great story in business, but if it doesn't drive anyone to action. It was pointless. And that's the transformation part. Yeah, boy, this is awesome. Because as you're speaking, it's just really catching all sorts of things. So my favorite movie is Life is Beautiful with Roberto Benigni. Oh, right, right. And boy, we got some happiness and some sadness in there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm teared up just thinking about it. And then that connects for me. It's about me for a moment, Matthew. If you'll sure, <laughs> sure. 
it's always about us. You know, the, the funny thing is, I'll tell you right now, the reason why we love heroes in stories and that we always have a hero in a story is because we all see our human psyche is that we are heroes on a journey. Yeah. That's why we do that. And also, I just want to point out that the reason why you do cry in a movie or you have tears of joy is because when you juxtapose a happy moment and a sad moment successfully in a film or Mm -hmm. in anything, the release from dopamine to oxytocin, dopamine is kind of the happy chemical, oxytocin is more the somber chemical. When you put those right next to each other, the chemicals change so quickly. So you could be laughing one moment and then you discover something sad and it'll tear you apart. And so it's it's really, uh, there's a kind of a science to storytelling with these chemicals that get released from dopamine, oxytocin, and then endorphins to make you laugh. Okay. So that's kind of what you're going for in a great story is that you're going to share some things that trigger the happy, trigger the sad, and, and trigger the, the laugh. Absolutely. The way I always see it is it's kind of like these three flavors of uh, that you, three choices you can get of different ice cream. <laughs> so it's like the funny moments, the emotional moments, or kind of this anticipation action moments. And really, when you think about it, that's what breaks down all the movies, right? It's either funny, emotional, kind of like heartfelt, or action. And when you can make a film that kind of blends all of those, like Toy Story did, you really put together a compelling piece of storytelling. Yeah. I'm also thinking about even just like a gum commercial. They played a song that we played at our wedding, which was the uh, Kaylee Reinhardt version of I Can't Help Falling in Love with You with this gum and, and it showed this guy like drew doodles on the gum wrappers and i'll we'll link to it in the show notes okay cool i was hoping you weren't going to say you played the double mint song at your wedding but this is better <laughs> it was so touching at our wedding <laughs> <laughs> okay there we have it it's like the product that he's doodling on these gum wrappers is sort of having a transformation in their life because we kind of see the relationship unfolding. Similarly to, I'm thinking about the Google, I'm looking to all of these, like the Google commercials that's really emotionally powerful where it, it starts with like how to impress a French or Italian girl and how to speak Italian or French. or And then it goes all the way to, I don't want to spoil it, but their relationship also develops in a touching way. So linking to the show notes, all of these things. So you're really connected the dots for me in terms of why is this effective? I was like, I don't know. I guess I'm a softie. <laughs> well, this is the thing. This is what people listening to this should think about. Just like you're recalling all of these commercials or movies, you're recalling them because you remembered them. And storytelling does make things more memorable. The truth is that when you just share information, people only retain a very small amount. They say 10 minutes later, you only retain 5% of the information. But if you can wrap a story around it, even a piece of gum or a car, people are going to retain so much more. They're going to remember it. And it's going to make them feel something. It's going to impact them. And then the last thing, it's going to be personal. And all of a sudden, you're playing a gum commercial at your wedding. So (laughs) this is what great marketers, great salespeople, uh, great branding teams do. They're the ones who seen that storytelling is, is not just for entertainment. And I always knew I wanted to write a book on storytelling. But there's so many books on storytelling out there that I almost felt like, you know, I just don't want to waste my time or the audience's time writing a book that they can already get. And one of the things that I saw that the world needed was a book that shared actually the Pixar storytelling techniques. 
that could be used for business. A lot of those business books out there on storytelling are not written by are necessarily film writers. And so the actual techniques and tools that I have in the book are ones that would use at work. But instead of you inserting a car or a bug or a rat, you can insert your product or your founder or even better yet, the uh, that customer. Right. Well, you had a couple of teaser fascination bullets in your book that uh, I can't resist. So let's touch on a couple of them. Okay. Let's see. You shared with us a few universal story themes, but uh, you mentioned six. Do we tick off all six? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure if I did. Let's see. So there's love, there's safety and security. There is wanting to be free and be spontaneous. Just think about in the movie Brave. She's been set up to get married and become the queen. And she just wants to be like an adventurer, right? And then the next three are ones that are kind of based on fear. So those first are like desires. The next ones are fears, like the fear of not belonging, the fear of abandonment. You guys are going to have to read the book. I'm getting stumped on the (laughs) sixth one right now. (laughs) It'll come to me in a second. But they really, they just keep showing up again and again. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get your take in terms of at the very beginning, how do we hook attention well? Well, this is not anything new. It just seems like it's even harder today, which is how to be able to hook someone's attention. I think we know that when you um, say you want to do a pitch for a product or a movie, or you're just trying to start up a conversation with somebody, people have very limited attention spans. They're about eight seconds, I think, is the human attention span. So how do you engage people to want to continue listening about your company or what your product or service does. And when I am putting together a hook on a, a movie poster or a trailer, or I'm going to do the pitch for a film, I got to make sure that first off, it's not too long. That needs to be clear and concise. I really try to make sure that my pitch is not longer than eight seconds. No kidding. Really? You're going to have to give me a few examples. Wow. Eight seconds. Is that even a sentence? Here, you'll count it out in your head. All right. But what about What if superheroes were banned from saving people? Oh, okay. And you're kind of intrigued because you're like, I know superheroes save people. So why would they be banned from saving people? And that's the Incredibles. Or you could have one that is, uh, what if a rat wanted to be a French chef? Now, those are films. So you could say to yourself, well, well, Matthew, you know, those are films. So that you're cheating. What if you could put a thousand songs in your pocket? That was the pitch Steve made for the iPod. What if you could put a thousand songs in your pocket? And so, you know, what's going on here is that when you have a hook, you have really four options. You can either come up with something unusual that takes the ordinary world and shares how it could be different, that superheroes that are not allowed to save people. You're not going to have to use a Walkman with 14 songs on a cassette tape. You can actually put a thousand songs in your pocket, right? Or the second one is something unexpected, the shock value. What if a rat was a French chef, right? And then the other two is landing people in an, in, the, in an action or conflict. When you're clicking through channels on TV and you see you know, the good guys chasing the bad guys, you want to know if they're going to get the bad guys. So you keep watching. Or landing people into a conflict, like seeing two people in a kind of very intense conversation, you can't stop watching. So these type of things are great ways to create hooks. I always suggest keep it within eight seconds. It's always helpful to start with a what if. Don't make it too abstract that people don't know what it's about. But at the same time, don't get too wordy and start repeating yourself too much because people are going to get bored. 
So that's what I do for a hook. Now, with those what-ifs, do all of your pitches start with what-ifs, or are there any other formats that they occur in? When I'm creating it, I start with a what-if, but then I start to use whatever words feel most natural. But there's something about starting with a question that pulls people in. It entices people mm-hmm. to want to know what's the answer. That's probably why. And so maybe you don't have to start with a what. You could start with a why. You know, why is it that if you want to get from point A to point B, you have to get in a, a stinky taxi that charges too much and they're rude to you? What if there was another option? And that could be Uber or Lyft, right? Yeah, gotcha. So that's what I think about when I'm creating a hook. That's cool. That's cool. Well, could you maybe give us an example of bringing some of this to life with regard to a client? It's like, all right, so they've got a proposal for a product or a business or a service or a process or a story to share with the investors, the customers, their employees about something that might seem boring in the realm of business, but suddenly just came to life with a, a thrilling story. Well, you know, you think about, I would say, data and analytics. That sounds pretty wordy, right? A little dry. (laughs) And I think a lot of companies, you know, they know that collecting data and having good information on people is, it's beneficial because you're going to be able to help people be able to get what they need more effectively. And when I come into companies to be able to help them tell stories that are connected to data and analytics, I really, I have them go back to what is the takeaway? for your service, your product. The whole takeaway is the more you know about people, right, the better you're going to be able to help them. And then you can think about moments in your life where somebody got you a birthday gift or it's your birthday at work and they get you the cake and you're allergic to dairy, you can't eat gluten, and they got you a big chocolate cake. (laughs) Obviously, if they would have really taken the time to know you as a person, they wouldn't have been giving you something that you didn't want or you couldn't even eat. And that's really, I think, the way it's like in our world of advertising. We get bombarded with so many ads that have nothing to do with us. It's like recently, I have no idea why I'm getting all these dental implant ads that are being sent my way. I have perfect teeth. It's kind of making me mad. (laughs) And if somebody actually did their data and really knew what was important to me, they wouldn't be wasting my time and getting me angry at them. They would be sending me products and services that actually would make my life better. So I always think about what is the end takeaway for that product or service. Then I try to think about stories that will fit and have a similar takeaway. It's like a metaphor. That's cool. Thank you. Sure. Well, tell me, Matthew, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I'm okay. I am ready to shift gears. If you'd like to tell a great story in a language other than English, I recommend you check out our sponsor, Babbel, the language learning app that will get you speaking a new language with confidence. In my own story, I've long wanted to learn how to speak Spanish and even bought some other software to help me get there, but I had a hard time finding the time to sit down at the computer and actually do it. With Babbel, though, you can take your learning anywhere using their app or online platform. They got progress synced across all devices. The lessons are quick and convenient, taking only about 10 minutes, and the app is beautiful, and I really like their fun little rewarding sounds that encourage you each time you're getting something right and making progress. You can try the number one language learning app in the world for free by visiting babbel.com or downloading the app. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com or download the app to try it for free. So thanks to Babbel for sponsoring this show and for helping people speak a new language with confidence. 
All right, then. Could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Do I have to quote it correctly? (laughs) Roughly correctly. Some leeway. All right. I always love this quote that Alfred Hitchcock has. I think he was asked, what makes a great story? And he said, great stories are based on life, but with the boring parts removed. So it always sticks in my head because, you know, so many times we think that, well, I'm going to create this story about this thing that happened to me in my life. And you know what? People probably don't want to hear all the details. Just get to the good stuff, you know? Right. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Oh, my. Well, you know what I would say is that one of the bonuses of of working on a movie, especially a Pixar movie, is that they will actually pay for you to do research on the movie. So you you get to go to, you know, you're working on Finding Nemo. So you go to Great Barrier Reef in, in Australia, or you go on Route 66 on cars. And, and actually, that was probably the most memorable one for me because I, I didn't want to go on Route 66. It was for two weeks. It was going to be the middle of the summer. This is before having a smartphone. And it turned out to be the best experience. And the people we actually met on Route 66 were the characters that we put in the movie like Mater and Sally and Doc. Those were based off of people we actually met through just getting to know the people on Route 66. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. And how about a favorite book? Oh, gosh. You know, that's a hard question, man. I think I would have to go and and ask myself, which book have I read over the most again and again? I don't know, man. I've read Watership Down a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I do love that book. And then also, I would have to say, I am a John Steinbeck fan, so I have read Great Expectations a couple times. I'm just also a really big Roald Dahl fan. I think a comeback as a writer, it would be Roald Dahl. And I would say that I have probably read his books to my kids so many times, from The Twits to James and the Giant Peach to Charlie and Chocolate Factory, all those, you know. I know that's a lot of answers there. Oh, no, I appreciate it. The audience can pick and choose which ones they like. And how about a favorite tool so that it helps you be awesome at your job? Favorite tool. I would say that the tool is not necessarily a pencil or a computer. I think the tool is actually improv, if that counts. Oh, sure. Because when I get stuck coming up with a story, the thing that helps me get out of that rut is kind of chilling out, try not to think too much, and kind of letting your subconscious take over for a little bit. And improv is the best way of doing it because you're kind of given a location, a subject, who you are, go with it. And you just start making it up as you go along. And it's a great way for me to just kind of get out of that analyzing things too much. I think that's probably one of the enemies of art is thinking too much. (laughs) I know it sounds so silly, but whenever you're able to just kind of, I don't know, kind of like go into the basement of your mind or your soul and really start finding the truth and the things that scare you to use in your stories. They're honest. And a lot of times we don't want to go down in the basement to to find those things. But improv helps me to be able to do that. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit? A favorite habit? I would say that one of my favorite habits is probably riding my bike. And I was also going to say dancing. But, you know, once you start to have a certain number of kids, it's hard to go out dancing with your wife anymore. But those were nice habits. We used to do those go out at least once a month. We got to start doing that again sometime. But yeah, so those habits always have something to do with kind of getting my heart beating, moving around, having fun. Cool. Get the endorphins out. And how about a favorite nugget, something that you share that really seems to connect and resonate with readers and clients? 
I think one thing I share with people, especially when I'm working with a group of people in a business who are thinking to themselves, okay, great. This guy has shared a lot of great stuff about storytelling. He's worked in the movies, sure, but I'm not a storyteller. I'm not a screenwriter. And they just kind of already shut down. The thing I always share with them is that when you have a chicken who's only lived in a cage their entire life, they know nothing but living in that cage. And actually, if you open up that cage door and you let them run out for the first time, they'll run around, they'll peck at things, and eventually they're just going to go back into the cage. And even though the door's open, they're just going to stay in there. And the only way that you can actually inspire that chicken to stay out permanently is you put out little morsels of food, a couple inches apart, leading them out of the cage to be able to get them used to not being in that cage anymore. And it's baby steps. And really, it takes practicing, telling those short stories around your life or uh, that could be personal or professional. And reminding yourself that we were all storytellers once, and it just takes a little bit of practice to get you back into that place again. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, I'd love to share some fun story tidbits on Twitter, so you can always find me there. And I would say that one of the guys that I love to go back to time and time again is Joseph Campbell. He wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and he also did this interview called The Power of Myth with Bill Moyer. And the Power Myth interviews are actually on Netflix, and you can always pick up one of his books. And he was one of the original guys who really started thinking about how storytelling connects all of us on this planet, no matter what culture, gender, or age. And it's a very, very inspiring guy. So I would say that would be some good things to go check out. Beautiful. Well, Matthew, this has been a ton of fun. I wish you lots of luck and inspiration as you do your thing. Hey, my pleasure. And I want to also encourage you now that you've watched Toy Story to watch. There's two more just in case. All right. There's Toy Story 2 and 3 because you've got to get them watched before Toy Story 4 is coming out, man. I don't think I was aware that was happening. (laughs) It is. You have till June. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Straight from the horse's mouth. That's right. Did you work on Toy Story 4? I did work on that in the very beginning. Cool. And I would say also for Toy Story 2 and 3, definitely bring some tissues. Okay. Okay. You're going to need it. Uh, Appreciate it. (laughs) Okay. Boy, this conversation was so fun with Matthew just because it packed a whole lot of emotion. A lot of times we're cognitive in these episodes, like, "Mm, yes, that is optimal and a wise approach which will yield good results. And this one just sort of grabs the heart, which is what he should do. Apparently, Matthew Lunn is awesome at his job of being a story supervisor and consultant. So uh, again, check out the the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep403 so you don't miss out on those really cool examples of commercials and stuff that are emotional. And I think my favorite or most useful takeaway I've been using now now, because I haven't crafted many stories lately, but it's just that pitch concept in terms of the eight seconds, maybe what if, and just see if you can strike an emotion like, whoa, I'm curious, I'm inspired. So, hey, let me give a, a shot right now for a pitch to you. And if you're interested, email me, Peter awesome at yourjob.com. My wife and I have been playing around with the idea of maybe starting this business because we figured some things out here. So, all right, here we go. Practicing a pitch under eight seconds, a what if, here we go. <clears throat> What if you could hire a writer better than a Northwestern journalism student for under $10 an hour? 
Huh? You like that? Are you intrigued? Are you intrigued? If, if you or someone needs to hire a writer, email me, Pete at awesome at your job.com. We're exploring this business concept right now. Anyway, that's our story. Hope you dug it. And I hope you push subscribe. If you haven't already, you'll hear from our next guest. It's Michael Roberto. You've heard me mention him a little bit with regard to the Great Courses Plus and how he's a professor with some videos there. We talk about creativity and how it happens. It's a good one. I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.